We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The Indiana Pacers select Solomon Hill. Miles Turner. Goga Bitadze. Paul George of Fresno State University. From Tbilisi, Georgia. From the University of Texas. From the University of Arizona. You're listening to Setting the Pace, your go-to Pacers podcast with Alex Golden and Michael Fachi. What's going on, Pacer Nation? We are excited to be back for another episode of the Prospect Chronicles, talking about Jalen Johnson from Duke today. But joining me, as he does every single week, his favorite Duke prospect was Josh McRoberts. He still wears his hair like Mike Dunleavy, ladies and gentlemen. It's the one and only Michael Miles Plumley Fachi. Fachi, what's going on, bro? Oh, the Miles Plumley at the end. Oh man, love me some McBob. That guy did not get enough credit. But, uh, hey, shout out to Dunleavy. You know, he had some good years for the Pacers, not record-wise, but scoring-wise. So, happy to be here today, Alex. Yeah, I guess I could have thrown in Cassius Stanley since we did just draft him last year. But I feel like I should give you a first-round pick. Miles Plumley. you know, we, we put that pick to good use, right? Oh, what a great pick it was. I mean, just truly reaped all the benefits of, of when the team was – Entering the Eastern Conference Finals area, you know, right around there, just it was just not not good. You know, you could have kept it going. Instead, we brought in Miles Plumley. I still can't believe he was on the board at that point in the late twenties. I really thought he was going to be a top five pick, but you know, Larry Bird. I mean, he just he he has that he has that presence where teams are afraid to pick good players and they just send them on down to us. But anyways, we've got ourselves a loaded show talking about Jalen Johnson with Brian Horace from Duke Blogger. He came on last year to talk about Cassius Stanley. So what are your thoughts on Jalen Johnson before we get into this conversation? I like Jalen Johnson. I don't love Jalen Johnson. Um, very curious to see where he's going to go. He's kind of been someone that's kind of bounced all over mock draft boards. So very mm-hmm. curious to see where uh, he's going to end up. So I think someone's going to get someone with a lot of talent, but it's not a sure thing. Um Someone who left left college early felt like I wanted to see a little bit more. Yeah, I, I think early on I was higher on him than I am now. I agree. S- still like his potential. I still think he could be somebody if he falls to fourteen that you don't or thirteen wherever we pick. He doesn't. He doesn't. You know, you don't pass up on it. But I'm just telling you, I just 
I, I think there's something there with his game. I'm not like a thousand percent sold, but I'm really close, Flash. I'm really close. Yeah, I mean, I mentioned, you know, this is a guy that was a top 10 recruit, a big expectations. The one thing that worried me was after he leaves Duke to get ready for the draft, Duke kind of got better. And I feel like that shouldn't happen when you're talking about a potential lottery pick. Yeah, no, I, I understand that. But I, I think that we need to just let our guest do the explaining for us because he has watched his entire freshman season, which did come to a, a quick end. But he he did watch all of those games, and he's got a better pulse on who this prospect is. So let's get out of the way and bring on our guest, Brian Horace from Duke Blogger. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Blue Wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Setting the Pace. We are joined by Brian Horace, um, or on Twitter, known as at Duke Blogger. Brian, what's going on? Hey, how are you guys doing? Doing great. Doing great. Appreciate you joining on um, today. And we are going to be covering... Jalen Johnson, someone that you are very familiar with. A uh, little bit of an incomplete season at Duke. We'll get into that. But Jalen Johnson, a guy right now that many have projected in the lottery, uh, wanted to hear, you know, what was your thoughts on what Jalen did well this year? Well, um, it's hard to really get a, an accurate description of him as a player. I mean, he didn't play much last season as a high schooler. And then when he got to Duke, he only played, you know, roughly, what, 12 games? Yeah, 13, exactly. But, yeah, half a season, basically. Exactly. Um, what he's good at is passing. I mean, this guy is going to be one of those <clears> – <throat> I don't want to say he's a Ben Simmons type, but it's kind of in the same vein where he can be your sort of a point forward. Um, he's going to do that well in the NBA. He didn't really get as much of a chance at Duke. He, he didn't really get a chance to sort of – get that preseason work. He didn't get, really get to, to, to bond with his teammates as well and get to know their games. But I think on a, you know, in, at the next level, he'll get that time. So, um, you know, he, he had his moments. He was a streaky shooter. Uh, getting, you know, when, once he gets going downhill, he's hard to stop. That much I'll, I'll give you. He's a 6'9". Uh, he's got a man's body. And he can definitely get going downhill. And he's, and he's, a, he's a great finisher. All right, so let me let me just get right to it because I'm on NBA Draft uh, net right now, and they're comparing him to Stephen Jackson and T.J. Warren, two Pacers forwards that we're very familiar with here in Pacer Nation. And so I just have to ask real quick. I mean, I, I'm not sure those are the best comparisons based on what yeah, you told me because nah. it doesn't seem like a point forward is either of those two guys' strength. But looking at him, do you think of him as more of a project or a guy that can come in right away and be dynamic? I think because of what he's missed, I think he might be a bit of a project. Okay. Um, 
I think the one thing that that we learned watching him this year is that he's going to take some time to, you know, he's going to need some time to acclimate. He's the kind of person that has to sort of know the ins and outs of his teammates in order for his, you know, ability as a passer to really shine through. So I think that might take a little time for him. And I think he does have to adjust to the, to the strength of the game and, and, and the speed of the game, because really he didn't play much high school. He didn't play much college. So I think there's going to, you know, there's going to be a little bit of a, uh, a learning curve for him. Yeah, sure. It's going to be interesting. I mean, you know, you're, you're getting a lot of the learning curves with the guys that are one and done, but especially if you only play half a season, but what do you have to say for those that, you know, when Duke played with, you know, when Jalen Johnson played with Duke, they were just five and eight before he left the team. Some people say, did he quit on the team? You know, obviously we know he's getting ready for that, for the NBA season, you know, to, to prep for the draft stock, you know, if he, you know, work on, you know, little things to his game. But was there red flags that came up on Jalen Johnson? I've heard potential maybe attitude or fit issues at Duke. You know, could you set the record straight? Um, from what I've heard and, and, and what I've seen, I think it was more this COVID year kind of ruined it for a lot of people, especially for young teams. You know, the, the amount of freshmen that Duke had this year that needed to be critical pieces to the team – I think that was sort of the undoing of the team. I don't think it was a fit issue necessarily. I think it was a preparation issue. I think it was a um, not being able to, to live a normal college life issue, you know, being stuck in a hotel, no, uh, no uh, interaction with the actual student body all year long. I mean, there are a lot of things I think at play that weighed on the mental, you know, status of the freshman last year. And I think he was no stranger to that. And as far as quitting on the team, I think it was just a matter of, okay, what's my gain here? This team isn't great. We haven't done what we needed to do. Am I putting myself more at risk, you know, playing on a team that hasn't really gelled and has cohesion? Or do I need to just sit myself down, we're, we're, you know, worry about the draft? And I don't really fault him for that decision. Yeah, and so with his ability to kind of play different positions, where do you, where do you think he is going to thrive the most in the NBA position-wise? Um, that, that's a, that's a, that's a very good question. I, I think as a, as a wing, possibly he's going to have to get better at, at his three point shot. Um, he does have, have a decent first step. He's a good finisher. So I, I don't think he's going to be a power forward at his size, unless he's, unless they're playing a small ball power forward, but, um, yeah, small forward to, to power forward. And in that range, he's not a guard. He's sort of a, you know, I think he needs the ball in his hands a good amount. Mm-hmm. So I, it's, it's hard to say, but I, I think he's definitely a uh, sort of a small forward to power forward in that range. If there was a position in between them, I think that would be him. It sounds like that's kind of a lot of what I've read of like, you know, could, could be that, that small forward, could be the, the power forward. So you try and find something in between, you know, NBA has become positionless lately. So I think he could fit into that. But something you touched on before about being a point forward um, for him, you know, he, he shined at many times. You know, passing the ball, I, I, there was one game where I, I know he had seven assists in, but then he unfortunately followed it up with, I want to say, zero assists and, you know, about five turnovers. I want to say it was against Pitt. Could be wrong. But he finished the season with more turnovers than assists. However, he did flash being a ball handler. Do you think that in the NBA they're going to let him kind of be that point forward, or is that going to be something that takes some time to develop? Um, I think it's going to take some time. I mean, he has to work on his decision-making as, as most, you know, 
rookies do. And, and as a freshman, he definitely showed that that was a part of his game that needed some work. But again, I think a lot of that is, is just the fact that this team didn't get much preseason and any preseason really. And they, you know, they had to forfeit a bunch of games or not play a bunch of games because of COVID. I think in any other normal year, you know, he's a much better, he, he, he seems much better than he is than, than he, than he showed this year. So I, I think he can be the type of player, just like a Jason Tatum, that can grab a rebound and just go. And I think that's what the NBA is looking for right now. And a lot of guys to be able to get it and go, that's what Duke was looking for. And that's what they were hoping for. Obviously it didn't really work out that way, but um, definitely a, a guy that can, you know, get the rebound, get going downhill right away, get those fast break opportunities. Yeah, and I, and I think that, you know, the red flags that Fachi brought up about him, you know, ending the season early, I think that that might be a warning sign that Pacers, the Pacers probably won't select him just because they don't seem to go after guys that have any type of red flags on their resume. They go for mm-hmm. kind of the clean-cut guys. But in terms of potential and athleticism and, and ceiling-wise, I've seen – some mock drafts have him as high as six and I've seen him drop all the way to like 18, 19 in some mock drafts. And I'm just kind of curious because of that wide of a range, where do you think, you know, <laughs> where do you think he ends up getting drafted overall from, from what you've seen and what you speculate and how, 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 you know, good of a basketball player do you think that he can become because of all the tools that he has? Right. I, I think he'll probably end up in that, you know, lower range of like between 15 and 20, just okay. because there are those question marks. I mean, and I'm not saying that's a, and that's not an indication on his potential, but, you know, obviously, you know, um, what is rumor is always truth. So there's a lot of perception about him being, you know, someone that gives up, uh, someone that doesn't work hard. I, I can guarantee you he's a hard worker. As far as you know, where his head is at, that's that's hard for me to say. But yeah, there there were there were some red flags coming into Duke. There were some red flags leaving Duke. It's hard to say, you know, what's truth and what's fiction. I mean, I, I saw several uh, uh, guys, uh, media people, saying that you know, a camp and this and that, which I don't really believe. I believe it was just between him and his parents. And it's it's just really hard to say. But I, I don't I don't think where he's going to be drafted next year, which I think will be between 10 and 20, is going to be a good indication of his skill set. I think he has a, a fairly high ceiling. Um, he's sneakily athletic. He, he, can, he can get up, he can run, he can pass. I mean, all the raw materials are there. The instincts are there. It's just a matter of, I think, his game has to catch, you know, catch up with the speed of the actual game. And I think once he gets there, he's going to be a, a problem. Oh, without a doubt, the, the, the talent is there. We're talking about a top 10 recruit who, you know, like we mentioned, played basically half a season. So it just feels like it's probably going to take a little bit of time. I imagine the NBA is already a huge adjustment for anybody. But, you know, I, I think this is going to be quite the adjustment for him. I would love – We've all, every single Pacer fan has been waiting for the Pacers to take a risk on someone with a very high ceiling. So at 13, sounds like he could very well, you know, potentially be there. But one thing that's highly regarded about Jalen Johnson, his defense. Can you tell mm-hmm. us more about his defense? Because in a time where defense isn't as sexy as it used to be, there needs to be more defense being played, especially as it relates to these Indiana Pacers. Yeah, I, I, it's hard to say how stout he is on defense because I don't really know what position he's going to be guarding in the NBA. 
Um, at Duke, he, he did fairly well. Um, he was a, you know, half-decent blocker of shots. He had, he had one game where he had four block shots in that, in that same pit game, four block shots. He had a couple of games where he had two block shots. Um, he's good with his hands. He's, uh, you know, he had multiple games with multiple steals. I mean, he's, you know, he's not a guy that shies away from the, the defensive side of things. So he is a willing mm-hmm. defender. He's not like, you know, a guy that's going to shy away from, from defending. That's, that's definitely not his game. And he's very quick with his hands. So I, you know, it's hard to say if he's like that rugged, you know, defender that the Pacers are, are used to getting, but he is a guy that I think is coachable in that way. And I think he's got the raw materials to be a good defender. Well, and he's and strong, I, very, very deceptively strong as well. Yeah. And I, and I wanted, I wanted to ask you because you talked about him thriving with the ball in his hands. And I think that if you look at this Indiana Pacers team, they have a center in DeMontis Sabonis who, who does the exact same thing. How does he fit in with a guy that's kind of ball dominant? Is he okay playing off ball? Or, or would he be better suited to go to a team where he can get more touches or maybe be a part of a second unit to start out for a couple of seasons and uh, run the offense with the second unit? Because to me, I just I know how heavy the Pacers run their offense through Sabonis. I'm just curious mm-hmm. how he might fit next to a guy like that. Yeah, that's a good question as well. I, I think I think you hit it right on the head where I think he might need to be a second team guy to come in and, and sort of be that spark that can, you know, move the ball around and, and get other guys involved. But then again, I think once he gets again ap- acclimated to the uh, to the NBA game and 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 you know, once he understands that okay, Sabonis is our bread and butter, I think he can maybe get Sabonis some, you know, I think him being sorry about my dog whining here in the background. <laughs> um, I think once he gets um, more acclimated to to what that team is about, if if he happens to end up on the Pacers, he'll be a good guy to draw defenses away from Sabonis. Possibly, I mean, I think he has. I mean, he can. He's a good shake and bake guy. He can he can get his shot off the dribble, things like that. And for a six nine guy, that's always pretty you know pretty impressive stat. Mm-hmm. And and he's he's not selfish with the ball, so I think he can fit in into a place like that. It's just a matter of you know. The learning curve for him so we're obviously talking about a very talented player here that if you're looking at the scouting report you know they'll very very well compliment being a really good low post scorer rebounder defender however his jump shot and free throw shooting is something that's a bit in question if you just want to go from a number standpoint shot 44 percent from three but it was only on 18 total attempts do you think yep. the jump shot will be there or is that something where hey he just really didn't take that many of them but he's very capable yeah, he didn't get the opportunities that you know that uh, that one would have thought. Um, I think him playing, he and Matthew Hurt, which they were comparable in in positions, didn't play together as much as as one would have thought. So he ended up being the focal point of most defenses against Duke. Because I think if at, at, at last year, if you can shut him down, you can pretty much shut the team down. So I think in a more open NBA thing, a more open NBA setting, I think he'll be able to probably get that shot, you know, going. He just didn't get that many attempts. So I guess since we, we read what NBA uh, DraftNet said about him being, uh, you know, T.J. Warren, Stephen Jackson comparisons, I don't necessarily, necessarily see that, neither do you, I don't think. But no. if you're looking at maybe a, a player comp, someone just to kind of throw a generalization out there of what his potential might be or mm. who he is now, is there anybody that comes to mind, even if it's like a former guy from Duke, not necessarily uh, an NBA guy, but maybe just somebody that rings a bell? That's that's a tough one. Um, yeah, man. 
that kind of size and as well as that sort of skill set it's hard I, it's hard to put a name on, on that 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 particular skill set you did honestly. you did throw ben simmons out there is he kind of like a ben simmons I mean, light uh, maybe a light i mean i i don't think he's going to be playing a you know a point guard position right. but i believe as in terms of like passing instincts i think he has that same gift Okay. Obviously, I think he'll be he'll be better shooter. He'll be a better free throw shooter uh, once he gets more attempts and gets acclimated. But um, skill set wise, I could see Simmons esque, but I don't think he's going to be the you know a primary ball handler like Simmons. And I'm not sure if he's you know a all you know all NBA defender as uh, as Simmons is 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 you know turning out to be. But I think in terms of instincts with the ball, knowing where to go, knowing how to get his teammates involved, I think he does have that. <clears throat> okay, but I think well, I don't think he'll be able to. I don't think he'll be. You'll be able to sag off of him as you do Simmons when he's got the ball on the perimeter. That's good to know because I still think that Ben Simmons won't shoot threes. It's not much, but you know, at least you know it's possible. So, yeah, exactly. um, I would say. If Jalen Johnson slips in the draft, what do you think it would be most likely due to? I think it would most be most likely due to sort of the um, the perceptions of him more so than what his what he brings to the table as far as skills. I think um, he got a bit of a rap in high school because you know he he was at uh, Nicolette, then he went to IMG, never played a game for IMG, went back to Nicolette, then played a game or two. So that, that that's always something that that uh, I'm pretty I'm pretty sure GMs look at in terms of, you know, what what the character makeup is of a player and and, and such. But again, he's you know 18 year old kid. They don't always make the best decisions. They don't always do the right thing. Um, Duke wise, you know, opting out was this. If you're going to opt out, this was the year to do it. I mean, there were there were a lot of things stacked up against young teams. And it's, it was hard for a young team to look good. And you look at Kentucky, you look at Duke, you look at any team that, you know, played a multitude of freshmen and it just wasn't their year. So he might have just seen the writing on the wall. This was going to be a short year, you know, for Duke. They weren't going to be in the tournament most likely anyway. You know, those things can work against you in terms of, you know, what GMs want, want from you. But I don't think they're an, an indication necessarily of what he is as a person or player. Yeah, and, and, you know, I'm sitting here thinking about all these different players that he can be, listening to you describe his game. And one player comp that came to my mind while you were talking, I didn't want to interrupt you, was Aaron Gordon, um, formerly with the Orlando Magic and now with hmm. the Denver Nuggets, because he does thrive with the ball in his hands. He's had to learn how to become a guy that can play off ball, work on his three-point shot. He's known for his defense. He's got hmm. kind of the same size. Pretty athletic, too, as well. Oh, yeah. So I think that – and the Pacers have had interest in Aaron Gordon before. They looked at maybe going out and trying to, to acquire him via free agency before the Magic got a, a, an extension done with him. But, yeah, I definitely think this is an avenue like the Pacers might be interested in because I think if you look at this Pacers roster, they need guys that are a little bit bigger and that can defend well. So this is where I'm, a, where I'm really intrigued by Jalen is this ability that he has – on the defensive side of things. So my last question for you as we wrap up this conversation, do you think that the Pacers, if you're looking at the teams in the lottery, do you think the Pacers make sense for them? Or, or do you think there's a team out there that makes a little bit more sense for them if you're looking at those top 
Uh, you said he fall to the 15, 20 range. So let's say like maybe 10 to 20 range. Is there a team that you think might fit him a little bit better? Well, let's see. I mean, I think it would benefit him to go to a team that isn't as young as uh, say like a um, Chicago or, or somewhere like that. I think he's going to need a team that has veterans. Um, I don't really know the draft order, honestly, but I would say. I'll pull it up for you. Okay. Yeah. So, so basically you're saying that he would do better with more of a structured system than. Most definitely. I I think he needs that. Okay. So from 10 to, from 10 to 20, we've got the Pelicans slotted to pick 10 Hornets, 11 San Antonio, 12 Pacers, 13, the Warriors, 14. And then you're looking at the Washington wizards at 15, the Celtics at 16, the Grizzlies at 17, the Oklahoma city thunder at 18, the Knicks at 19, and then the Hawks rounding it out at 20. It's hard to say that the uh, San Antonio wouldn't be a great landing spot for him. Having, yep. uh, you know, someone like Pop there, he always keeps, a, you know, a lot of veterans on hand. There's a lot of teaching going on. I think that would be a, a great landing spot for, for Johnson, honestly. Yeah, that, I, I think between there and Boston, I think Boston would actually be a good yeah. fit as well because they could use a bigger four. I just don't know how he would thrive with not having the ball in his hands as much. You know what I mean? Yeah, And exactly. San Antonio, they're, they've got a ton of cap space. they got $52.3 million in cap space this offseason as Rudy Gay, DeMar DeRozan, those kind of guys are coming off the books. So the veterans might not be there for San Antonio, but I definitely – find it intriguing to, to be with pop because of that culture they have down there. So Brian, I, I think that's all I have. Fachi, did you have any more questions? No, I just want to say, Brian, Alex has had the biggest man crush on Aaron Gordon for years. So that is the biggest compliment, <laughs> you know, and I wouldn't be surprised if Jalen Johnson just shot up his draft board right now. So, hey. I, uh, <laughs> well, it's hard not to like Aaron Gordon, man. He's a guy yeah. that came in the league quickly like an athlete and he's, he's sort of, He's, he's adjusted. He's learned. And, he, and he's, you know, he's shooting the three now. Yep. He's doing all these things that Aaron Gordon rookie didn't do. And that's, that's about the mark of a pro. So, and, and see what I like about Jalen Johnson. And you're right, Fachi. When I have been watching tape and stuff, he has been kind of going up my board a little bit. He's in my top five of guys that I'd like the Pacers to go out and get. Mm-hmm. And I understand that there are some concerns there. There are some red flags. His shooting needs to get better. He doesn't need to be a guy that falls in love with his three-point shot. But I love the athleticism. I love the defensive upside and I'm not so much worried about what he can do as far as a point forward. Like that might be his best asset, but I think that that can help them some ways too, because look, if you can take some bonus off the floor and still have a guy that can, you can run the offense through and he's a little bit bigger, that is enticing to me. But at the same time, I'm looking at overall potential and I think the ceiling can be really high for Jalen Johnson. I really do. But I do think that it's a very high, risk to, 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 you know, go out there and spend the draft pick on him because he could be this, you know, he could be an Aaron Gordon level type of player in my opinion, but he could also end up becoming like a Kevin Knox. Exactly. Not saying they're, they're similar, <laughs> but I'm saying that is where I see it at because it, it's such a, it's such a swing and a miss type of thing that you could happen with them. So I, I would prefer someone a little bit more safe, but the paces are never, in the lottery, yeah, uh, especially yeah. at 13th. So this is why you have to be a little bit more risque in a sense. And that's why I think Jalen Johnson does provide some type of, you know, high risk factor, high reward factor for me. 
I think you got to strike at that 13 high ceiling at Jalen Johnson. I really feel like this is a guy that if he played the full year or played up to his potential would have been for sure in that five to 10 range. Now, when, when you're hearing it could be in that 10 to 20, I think it's perfect for the Pacers. Mm-hmm. And, and, and in the, in Jonathan Gavoni's mock draft on ESPN only available on ESPN plus I had to buy it so I could see all this stuff, but he has him slotted going eight to the Orlando Magic. I mean, it is certainly possible. I mean, maybe, they get, maybe they're getting the replacement for Aaron Gordon. Exactly. That's exactly. <laughs> well, and I mean, they went out and got um, – who did they get in that trade again? I'm having a brain fart. Foch, who did they trade for? Wendell Carter Jr. Wendell Carter Jr. Thank you. I knew it started with a W, but I was like, I can't think of it. Uh, Wendell Carter Jr. And then, of course, they've got Jonathan Isaac and Chuma Kiki, who they drafted a couple of years ago. So they've got a lot of forwards. They went out and got Cole Anthony last year. I'm not sure. To me, they feel like a team that's going to go a little bit wing heavy. But I think that maybe Jalen Johnson could play some wing for him. I just don't love his fit there, to be quite frank with you. I I mean, this might sound like a bit of a like, but I think like a Keon Johnson makes sense for Orlando or or so does a guy like Corey Kisper. Like, I know that he's not like the most sexy name, but the three-point shooting is something that I really think Orlando could use yeah, more yeah, consistently. But they're they're a team that's really just trying to rebuild. So if they feel like the highest potential is Jalen Johnson at eight, then I, I think that that does make sense to take him. And if you feel like Jonathan Isaac's injury-prone, you move on from him. And maybe Jalen Johnson can be that replacement. But at the end of the day, I just, I'm just not sure where the 19, 19-year-old's going to land. But – He's not even 19 and a half yet at this point. So uh, there's a lot of a lot of youth in this draft, as we know. And I think that that's one thing that's enticing as well. Yeah, exactly. I mean, as long as, you know, you, you get a good interview with these guys, you see where their head's at, that's going to be a big thing. I mean, I, you know, a lot of them are coming off COVID years, and that's that was tough on a lot of kids. So you know, a lot of it's just going to have to be, you know, GMs figuring out what they need. And, 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 you know, how these kids are going to be able to adjust from everything that happened last year to now. Yeah, so I, I wanted to, before we get off here, just introduce your dog to the audience real quick. Uh, he's been present this entire podcast, so felt like it was it was time to give him a shout-out as we wrap this up. <laughs> well, it's a she, and she's Zoe, and she's a, uh, a um, mix of a lab and a husky, and, yeah, just very jealous when I'm on any kind of conference call. Very, very jealous. <laughs> she sounds like a big Jalen Johnson fan, so I'm sure she had a lot to say. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. She doesn't want to see him go, right? So. <laughs> exactly. Well, Brian, we definitely appreciate you coming on. Uh, if there's anything, you know, you want to shout out um, on at Duke Blogger, you know, let us know. Let us know where we can find you on social media. I appreciate it. Yeah, just uh, check out DukeBlogger.com when you get a chance, and that's about it. Love it. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.